And welcome to Mixed Media Live. We're back, and uh, oh, I've got a, of course, an editing error in here to start. Obviously, why not? Um, here, let me let me fix that real quick. But in the meantime, uh, I'd like to welcome everyone who's around. I see there are a few people who are showing up, and uh, we've got an awesome uh, second interview today. So in a moment, you'll be able to see him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're gonna introduce ourselves. So yeah, Scott, you can start. Hi, uh, my name is Scott Meinchak. I'm a composer. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'll go next. Uh, my name is Irving. I'm a media compo- uh, media composer. Wow, <laughs> media entrepreneur. Steal my my uh, my job. Yeah, I cer- most certainly cannot compose. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a filmmaker and media entrepreneur. I own a company called Ariella Productions. Um, ben, forget your hat again. No, I did not forget my hat. The uh, problem is my apartment is 89 degrees because the air conditioning is not working. So if my brain is frazzled, uh, that is why. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm uh, Nathan. I'm a game developer and 3D modeler. And I'm Ben Costello, a flute player and a media composer, uh, unlike unlike Irving, who is, is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I... I I, I can play some things on piano. That's that's the best I've got. Uh, maybe. I mean, that's, that's enough, right? You're outnumbered this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, yeah, all three of you can make music, and uh, I'm the only one who well, cannot. Not well in my case, but... <laughs> yeah, you're starting out, but uh, yeah. I literally cannot. <laughs> I'm sure that you can criticize just like the best. I'm a director, so I have to pretend I know what I'm talking about. That's that's the, uh, <laughs> the I mean, thing that has to happen. In in media music, really, only the director knows what they're talking about, right? You you just serve their vision. So yeah, exactly. Whatever they say is right. That's right. Yep. Obey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everything is brilliant and right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so who are we? What is Mixed Media? So Mixed Media is a weekly podcast happening Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And what we do is we combine our collective knowledge about our different art forms, whatever. We present on different topics. Like today, I'm going to be talking about why art class has failed you. Um, and, uh, you know, we like to talk about our respective fields. Um, sometimes we have interviews like we have today. And uh, so, yeah, if you want to uh, support us, the best thing you can do is, if you like this, is to subscribe or to join us on Discord. Our Discord uh, link is in the description. There we chat and we uh, mingle and all all that good stuff. Um, but today we're going to start with the music side of things. So uh, without further ado, Ben, you can take it away. Sure. So uh, like, I, like we already said, I want to welcome uh, Scott to our show. Um, last week. Uh, as part of our reviewing Reddit uh, segment, I reviewed, uh, talked a little bit about Scott's piece, uh, Fantasy for Orchestra, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which I thought was a really fantastic uh, example of orchestration. So we talked about some of that. So if you're interested in listening to the piece, uh, you can, and, and more about what we talked about there, uh, you can watch last week's show if you want a little bit of background on that. And this week, we're going to be talking to the composer and you know getting to know a little bit more about him and his process and yeah so kind of continuing that uh interview stuff that that irving got us started on last week which i think we all thought was a pretty cool format 
getting some actual artists on here and other you know, other than ourselves and uh seeing what they have to say so uh and before you continue uh if you want your stuff to be reviewed or if you're interested in interviewing or whatever you got to join our discord that is the entry fee <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're, we're trying to trying to make uh some more discussions you know take place there have, have put more stuff out there i know i've been a little bit less responsive and putting in fewer things recently because getting ready to move uh next week but you know once i get settled out there i'll try and put some more stuff in, in the music section of our discord so you know if you're interested in musical stuff check check that out all right so uh let's just let's jump right in so uh scott can you tell me a little bit about your background in music and how you got started with composing sure my background in music uh i guess started when i was like a teenager learned how to play guitar singer songwriter kind of thing like who who hasn't right i mean like that we've all heard that story uh but then later on uh in life i decided to go back to school to actually get a music degree uh, with a focus on music theory and music composition and i got lucky to um, meet a professor there who had worked in the film scoring industry and was a really great orchestrator and i asked if i could work with him privately uh, and I did so for uh, a few years, and and I really feel like uh, private lessons really kind of paid off, and you know, ten semesters of theory theory classes really like helped a lot, um, and and just like the the amount of musical stuff that they make us do. I mean, like we're in so many ensembles, we're always analyzing music, we're always talking about music. I I feel like I I went in loving music, and I I left being able to really experience it in a whole new way, and and actually start to compose the ideas in my mind that I've, I've had for years. So that, that's been exciting. Nice. So would you say that you're still, you know, guitar is your primary instrument? No, I would say the piano is now my primary instrument. Okay. So that's still kind of a, you know, a, a big, uh, a big jump from like singer songwriter stuff to like getting into the orchestral world, which you've obviously, you know, gotten into and, and done very well with. So that's yeah, when of- I was a, when I was a teenager, I, I started falling in love with classical music and film music, especially like John Williams, James Horner, Jerry Goldsmith, Alan Silvestri, Danny Elfman. Um, so like to me, like those people are like my like go to like, OK, this is how my orchestrations should sound. It's also very cool that you kind of went back to you know school a little bit later in life to kind of dive into all those th- things. Yeah, it was yeah, fun. So you kind of talked a little bit about some you know your, your formal uh education is, as a composer um how do you feel about like for you know aspiring composers um like blending formal education and and kind of informal study i know i i tend to see a lot of people on like hmm. well we've been digging i've been digging around through reddit for for this uh this podcast and seeing a lot of people who are kind of like you know, I'm just going to go it all, all alone and, you know, I don't really need any formal education or educate, even in the film composing world, I find a lot of composers who are like, you know, education, especially, especially like secondary degrees, but a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't need any education at all. You know, it's all like on the job stuff, you know, interning. Mm. Well, I, I guess, that, I guess my thoughts on that are, there's definitely different approaches to take. I think that it comes down to, if you have the ambition, you know, the drive, that really either way will work because I'm sure that those people that are, are, are pursuing it in that direction can name 
people that who have done it that way, and they'd be like, well, what about so-and-so? Because, um, I mean, everything I know how to do, I learned from someone, right? So if I just sought out all private instructors, I think the difference is, is I can take out financial aid to go to school. The government won't give me financial aid to take private lessons. So that was, like, another reason why, like, I went to pursue it academically was I needed some way to be financed to be able to, like, pursue this as a for a living like you know you know there was otherwise there was no way i was going to be able to financially afford to you know not work and be able to like take the time to study so you know i think it just kind of really depends on everybody's individual circumstances like maybe i've dodged the question and not answered it. i'm i'm not sure no not at all um it's a, it's a good perspective on, on financially i'm i'm also thinking that just some people are you know there's like even a gap between people like wanting to you know, study privately, like that's too formal for them. They just want to like, I have listened to a lot of Mozart so I can write like Mozart. Oh, well, I mean, I feel like that's probably going to be very difficult to pull off. I mean, like, you know, it's great if you had that ambition, right? But like, I loved listening to Mozart and to, to Beethoven and Chopin. And actually, once I got more formally educated, I enjoyed listening to them less because I found them to be not as innovative as like later composers. But I still wouldn't have been able to compose like them. And I mean, I, I don't even know that I could even compose like Mozart now. I mean, like that's, you know, a, probably a, a pretty arrogant comment, right? Like, because trying to do something like he had done, something so tonal that always felt fresh and, and innovative at that time, I don't think you're going to pull that off today. We've already heard it. Like, what, you know, what would be our new spin on that, right? So I guess, yeah, people who are like, like looking at it from that perspective, it's like, I guess you also don't know what, what the challenge is ahead of you. Like, you know, people aren't going to necessarily be interested in hearing somebody who wants to write like Mozart, unfortunately. I mean, how many people really like are successful that write like the Beatles, right? Like the Beatles are the Beatles. Nobody else is the Beatles. Um, I'm sure that you, you hear all the time in film music, there's a lot of composers who, who want to be Hans Zimmer. But there's a, there's a big difference between trying to be Hans Zimmer and a cheap imitation of Hans Zimmer. Now I'm yeah. getting a little preachy, so I better I better back oh, off. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that's you know that, that's that's kind of the like trend in, in the film music world. You, you either are gonna try to imitate Williams or imitate Zimmer, and it's you know it's really hard to be either of them. And honestly, well, people I think a lot more directors, not so much from personal experience, but I think just like if you listen to any film score from the past you know 15, 20 years. People are okay with you being a Zimmer clone, but people don't really like Williams clones too much. <laughs> so, but yeah. I, I agree with that. A part of me wonders if it's just because of the budgetary differences, right? Like, you know, we can do a Zimmer score in our apartment for, you know, relatively no money <laughs> versus like a John Williams type score where, where you know, even like great mock-ups really lose the lifelessness that, that needs to be there the imperfections of these fast string runs you know like those little things that aren't in that midi just can't do uh you know like so i think that's another reason why we don't see as many people go for that um i think a lot of directors too feel like that sometimes that john williams style is like over telling the story which i disagree with because i think that that his style of, of, of composing creates a very timeless type of film that will that age is great. Uh, when I see movies from the 80s that use typical 80s synth and, and style of, of writing, um, you know, I mean, I, even like a movie like, oh, I don't, well, I shouldn't say, I don't want to bash any, any composers on Go here, but there are, 
No. Oh, my goodness. I was, I was thinking it's a good score. It's a great score. But, like, the instrumentation in a movie like Running Man, you know, from the 80s, like, that, 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 that is very dated. But then, like, you take, since we're using Sylvester, uh, or, I mean, uh, Schwarzenegger films as an example, take a movie like Predator that Alan Silvestri did, and that's got full orchestration. So, musically, I feel like it still holds up today. Uh, so, I think that that's, like, going to be the big difference. Like, will some of these films that are coming out, like, especially, like, right now, that, that are doing like the, the Zimmer type score, will will we like look at them and be like, yeah, I'm kind of sick of it. And like that, this movie was okay. didn't have great story anyways. didn't have great, you know, plot. Yeah, the special effects were awesome, but even the music wasn't necessarily captivating, um, you know. And again, nothing wrong with the Zimmer style. Like, I mean, some of my favorite scores are by Hans Zimmer. I, I think Rain Man is probably his most brilliant score of all time. Nobody ever asks him to do it anymore, but you know, like, I, I just it, it's just beautiful i mean it's, I, I could listen to that that soundtrack any day of the week i will say from a director's perspective or or a film watcher's perspective you know i end up i like these days it, it's it's so typical that i come out of the theater not even remembering the music that i hear and a lot of it can be very oppressive like just oppressively just overbearing in the wrong way, like overbearing in the sense that it's like, okay, you're really just slamming this uh, dark mood on me in a way that the film did not need. Um, very ambient um, instead of like bringing clarity to the scenes. It, it just oppresses the scenes, if that makes sense. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I, I feel like I've read that in recent movie reviews for some, some movies that have come out uh recently uh in, in theaters or direct st- to stream like where the, the music was like unimaginative and overdone i think was was one of the quotes i won't say which film it was but you can look it up it'd be easy enough to figure out feel free to throw shade we throw shade all the time <laughs> well you know i you know <laughs> i mean at the, at the end of the day because it's like um i'm sure ben you probably experienced this like sometimes there, there is no like arguing with the director's vision for the music like this is what they've heard in their heads since day one and, and it's just not going to change and it doesn't really matter how much you, you try to pers- persuade them um sometimes producers get in the way you know there could be other other feedback um i found that the best directors that i've worked with and are working with right now all have like some sort of like musical knowledge like they can play piano or they can play guitar or one of them plays cello um you know and i think there's something there um and steven spielberg is a musician he, he plays uh i think clarinet and i think he's in the recording of on one of the scenes in jaws on the on the beach you can actually hear him on there so it's like i feel like there must be something to that right like i mean him and williams have made these masterpieces throughout time uh he obviously knows how to direct his composer and and i think that's something a lot of directors forget that their job is to direct the composer they're like an actor you have to tell them what to do like a great composer can compose in many different styles so if you just say go at it um or something like real generic like oh just just give me typical horror music well what is is typical horror music i mean as a composer i can name you 20 different styles of horror music that doesn't make any sense to me to to use those kind of terms so i I think that yeah i got on another rant I, i need to need to calm down but rants are what the show is <laughs> <laughs> looks like we uh have a uh comment uh from twitch so uh, shout out to our twitch watchers we've got uh tavia says i think a lot of modern media not just movies have figured out they s- will still succeed even if they don't try once they've established a brand and so they don't cause they don't 
uh, little typo there. They don't think anyone cares or something like that is the, the point. Um, money's still going to flow in. And that's kind of pretty sad. Uh, there are plenty of films that will, could have been fantastic, but the people involved just don't bother. Yeah, and uh, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Uh, and I, that kind of ties into a lot of stuff I've talked about on the show with why that sort of non-compete environment comes about in terms of people not trying to woo their audiences into buying tickets. Um, so you can check out uh, other episodes for that. Yeah. <laughs> Although on the musical side, you know, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but um, I gotta I gotta you know, give credit where credit is due to uh, Marvel for allowing some more like innovative music for for Marvel in uh, Black Widow, you know, not just going with this traditional Marvel sound. And I actually do enjoy that Marvel does still do some big orchestral scores, like Michael Giacchino's stuff is just brilliant. Like his Spider-Man music is. Is is the best anyone's done, and, and Danny Elfman's was great. So no no offense to him. And James Horner, he did he did one once also, which was really cool. And I think Hans Zimmer did a, a Spider Man one. I mean, but like yeah, I, I really I think that that his style has just been magnificent. And, and there's also something I've noticed about Michael Giacchino. I think that he's just a real fan of films, and those are like some of the best composers because he really will use a lot of motifs if they have already existed in a franchise for a long time, or he'll use similar instrumentation. Like I felt like he was the first composer to go to do Planet of the Apes in a more Jerry Goldsmith style. Um, I mean, Ben, what do you think? I'll just put the spotlight back on you. I mean, I love Giacchino. Like you can, it's not hard to tell a, one of his one of his scores if, if you don't you know if you're just listening to it you don't know who the composer is um i i really love i still think my favorite score by him though is, is incredibles um, oh, that is it's incredible <laughs> i mean there's I mean, those those brass players are out of control like i would love to work with those guys i mean that that is that is just phenomenal music yeah and like it's great because you know like where everything is coming from you know like but but he never doesn't quote things literally like you know the main you, you know the five eight or I mean, five four you know that you're getting like um mission impossible but it's not mission impossible right you know? yeah yeah no i think he's great he's he's really good at at just going right for it but but still making it fresh which i think is really difficult yeah he he also started i think as like Working at, I want to say Universal Studios is like some kind of video editor, I think. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so he started like in, in you know, not music and kind of worked his way into music. So he definitely has that knowledge of, from like that side of, of you know, the, the other kind of side of, of crazy. artistic production. I think we have another comment. I think this one's Nathan-oriented. We see it a lot in the modern video game industry with this fairly recent everybody's a winner so they buy our product and merch mindset where in video games will not only give you the option of an easy route but hand fist and force you to say yes or no further and even worse is when a game no longer even gives player uh, gives skilled player a reward when the game has the same result whether you beat it or let the ai do it for you <clears throat> yeah i guess this would be my thing huh <laughs> There are definitely some some games that yeah do like the you know you can what was the game that did uh, I can't remember I remember reading a whole article about it though and developers were like you know we want this game to be accessible for all so we add like an invincibility mode or something like that which I mean uh, depends on the game right because kind of the, like I mean 
I guess it's sort of a an argument about what what the purpose of a game is, right? But I think a common answer is that it's to to conquer some challenge, right? So you kind of lose that when you have that kind of uh, mindset going in. So uh, yeah, I guess that's my uh, thoughts on that. Sweet. Carry on. <laughs> oh wait, I wanted to say something real quick about uh, the uh, the original question from like a while ago <laughs> about a uh, uh, formal education you know, versus non formal education. I think there's a sort of um, uh, I think both have some sort of you know that pros and cons, right? So I'm doing a bit of both, right? So I'm minoring in music, but I'm also just like learning music on my own. Uh, you know, when you're, I, I haven't taken many like uh, university classes yet for music, so I can't really speak on that, um, but. Yeah, I, one of the problems I have with university in general is just that you can't really go at your own pace, right? So if you're like struggling or you're like excelling, you can't like just go faster or slower. You're actually just forced onto whatever schedule they have you do. You know, you might not be feeling well one week, you might be feeling great one week, but no matter what, you're still stuck on that one rigid schedule. Uh, so that's, you know, non-formal education allows you to just, you know, do things at your own pace. But um, at the same, you know, time, uh, non-formal education has a problem where you're not getting feedback from anybody. Um, you have no way of knowing whether what you're doing is like, yeah, obviously good is subjective, but I, I have many, many like short little snippets of songs whatever, right? But I don't know if like, you know, at certain parts I'm like, okay, I know there's something wrong here, right? But I don't have anyone to tell me what's wrong. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That's sort of a problem with uh, informal education. I guess you have the sort of uh, in between where, you know, you could, uh, you have like, uh, you know, like a private teacher or whatever, rather than like a, uh, like a college teaching you. But uh, yeah, as, as you know, the point was made before, that can be pretty expensive depending on uh, who you go with. So I mean, so personally, like my, uh, well, for flute, it's been very formal, you know, other than like stuff that I work on on my own. But as a composer, you know, I more my my formal study is more in, in music theory and honestly in, in arranging and orchestration, um, and not really so much formal training in composition. Well, that's kind of something I've sort of done on my own, kind of taking from re- the other stuff that I, I've I've studied formally. So I don't think that's that unusual. I, I feel like there are a lot more people who like have you know formal education in like some of those building blocks of music who didn't like necessarily get a degree in composition, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of do the composition by like pulling what they know, and then also like oh, I'm just gonna look at a bunch of scores and listen to a bunch of scores and like just try it on my own kind of thing. Just kind of blending those things. Yeah. I think that it's interesting too, as, as you're talking about that, because private composition lessons are not, I think what a lot of people expect them to be like, especially like from, from a university point of view, right? Like, like you don't get to go in there and say, Hey, like I, I love Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I'd like to do something like that. Like, no, 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 no. You hold right down. We're not, we're not writing for that many instruments. I mean, you don't, uh, I mean, most senior projects aren't even that that big. Um, and then to to Nathan's point, but like, what if you're what if you're like ready? To, you actually do have that skill set, and you want to go beyond. Uh, and that's where I like I just sought out like additionally like not through the schools where I worked with um, this this professor R J Miller who who wrote his own orchestration book as well. So it's it's like great like you know he basically kind of gave me the one on one version of his book, and now whenever I look in there, it's very helpful. But my private comp lessons, they were not helpful for like writing melodies. They were not helpful for like coming up with cool chord progressions. They were not helpful, you know, for those type of things. Like what their focus was on was trying to create innovative 21st century music, 
Um, sometimes or maybe maybe the instrumentation would be a rubber hose, a hammer. Uh, I mean, Ben, I'm sure you've you've you know where I'm going with this stuff. And and that's really that there's nothing wrong with that, right? But if you're trying to make a living as a working commercial composer in media, Irving, how many times have you asked for a, a composer? Can you give me something with a hose in it? Like that's I'm really thinking a hose concerto, maybe with a rake. You know what I mean? Like like it's it's just it's very frustrating when I'm spending thousands of dollars hoping that when I leave here that maybe, just maybe after 10 or 15 years after graduation, I'll be able to pay off my loans, right? Like, please <laughs> oh give me something to use. So um, the some of, the, some of the, the better, or I shouldn't say better, happier music makers at the school were people who went for the minor, where they didn't have to deal with that stuff. It wasn't all about pushing the boundaries of, of, of music. It was like, you know, here's how you, you know, write some regular stuff, you know, and, and I think that that's what most people really went to school for, and, and we ended up not getting it. And I just went on another rant, so, you know, but I guess you said this is a rant-free zone, so I feel okay. One of, one of my favorite memories from uh, my undergrad days was um, this composer, uh, I, I think it was like his maybe master's, you know, or, or, or even PhD, uh, like final, you know, portfolio recital and and it has this piece for a brick in a washing machine and also like live you know processing and then being spit out through the daw and my my favorite uh music theory professor he said his response to this was why not just write a wedding march he says like you know who's gonna come to this if you try to perform this in the real world not just for like your recital doctoral whatever masters if you find a performance in the real world, you're going to have the janitor who listens to it because he's in there sweeping the hall and your wife, who's, you know, giving the plate golf, golf clap. And otherwise, you're not going to get anyone else in there. But it, yes, yes, you've done something revolutionary. Yes. <laughs> oh, the eternal problem with uh, with weighing how like how much you want to do exactly what you want to do versus, you know, the appeal that it has. My private piano teacher, he put it best to me because we were basically like the same age. So he was a great guy, like like kind of like just ran to him about the frustrations of getting a music education because it's it, it's a very rigorous program, especially because they make you do like a lot of one and zero credit courses. It's it's insane. But he he made I, I remember just telling him I was frustrated with like you know we need to be able to make money when we leave leave here. And he goes, you know, that's really interesting. He goes, you know, you went to school for art. He goes, typically you don't do art to pursue money, but you go to school to pursue money. He goes, so we're really in quite a little bit of a pickle here. <laughs> and I was like, that's a really an interesting way to look at it. And, um, you know, and I ended up talking with a student later that week who was going to school for graphic design, and he felt like it was the same thing in his, like, art classes where, like, they didn't care about if you were going to make money in the real world. That this, this was just more about the theoretical side of things. You know, obviously, I'm, I, I do things in the classical world, but like I'm obviously it's my my title here says media composer and media media flute player. Although I doesn't say media flute, but uh, it should say media flute. That's more impressive than just standard flute, right? I do yeah. media flute. Right. Ooh. Well, hopefully, my you know future careers in in both doing composition and also like playing flute in you know um, like studio recording. That's uh, my 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 goal with that. So media flute would call that but yeah you know if, if you do want to make it in the, the media world it's that's it's really an industry you know it, it's not just like you, you can't just try and do you know whatever theoretical things you want to do 
Uh, you're, you've got, you got Irving, the director, telling you, you know, you're going to, you need to do X, Y, Z or else you're fired. You know, you, you didn't meet my, my uh, requirements for the score. So <laughs> screw you, Irving. No. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got it off my chest. No. <laughs> but the, the thing is, this, this is a fair thing to say because as a director, an underrated skill is understanding how to get the information. Like one thing that I, that I, or I don't know, at the few times I've directed, um, something major. The thing I try to get across to the people who are, you know, helping me out is like, I would like you to be able to say whatever you have to say because ultimately I don't want you to make the choice for me what you're not going to do. I'd rather make that choice as the director. Otherwise, I'm giving up part of my job, you know, which is balancing voices, you know, like I'm, I have this singular voice I'm trying to get across. But I've also got these other other voices that are going to make up the final picture that I'm trying to also balance into the picture so that everyone can bring the best that they can. And it's it's frustrating when I hear stories of people who just say, ah, I, I didn't even present something X, Y, Z to the director. And it's like, OK, well, maybe the director is a crappy director in that way. But, you know, the director should be should be letting people at least mention what they what they would like to do, you know, um, even if the answer is still no. Yeah. I mean, I found that the best directors that I work with, it's very collaborative um, where they're not like I, I think the big thing I had to get across kind of early on was like, just don't hold back. Like, don't think I'm going to take it personally. Like, I'm not in love with the piece. This isn't like Scott's Symphony Number no. seven. <laughs> it's premiering with the Philharmonic, you know, and if you don't like it, like, who are the hell are you to criticize it? It's just like this is, you know, for your film or your project, you've had a vision for a long time and I want to really like hit that and you know the directors that can you know give the most feedback um like sometimes when it's even like really specific and sometimes i, I know they feel bad and it's just like you shouldn't feel bad like they'll be like hey i like the thing at 12 seconds to like 18 seconds could you just make that into like a one minute thing somehow it's just like yeah like now you're actually telling me what to do like that's really specific and easy um don't feel bad uh you know it's it's really where the hardest directors to work with, uh, and, and Ben, you might have noticed this before, is directors who, who don't know what they want, and they definitely don't know what they don't want until you present it to them. That's the only time when they know it. And then they give you back, like, one-word answers, like, oh, that's Harry Potter music, or that's not, or one sentence. It's like, well, well, well what does that mean? It's Harry, like, first off, if, 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 it's, if it's Harry Potter music, like, which, which film? Because, you know, if it's, like, Patrick Doyle's, I'm, I'm offended. And if it's, like, you know, John Williams, I'm very flattered. So <laughs> it just means they haven't listened to any like the Harry Potter soundtracks other than like Hedwig's theme. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I'll throw out there. Irving is fantastic to work with from, from my you. personal experience. <laughs> yeah. I, I found like the most frustrating experience I've had uh, was I got this really short leash, like an, like a non-existent leash from this one guy. As he asked me to you know work on his film, let him remain remain anonymous. Basically, we you know agreed that we were going to like take some themes from a particular like folk song, whatever. And he's like, okay, kind of like go for it. So I wrote the music for like the first scene, and I sent it to him, and he's like, no, nope, it's orchestral. I don't want it to have anything to do with an orchestra. Oh wow! And I'm like, oh, oh okay. So I'm like, it, it was like piano and like like and string quartet. I'm like, okay. 
Um, let me like you it's know, piano and string quartet, and he's I love it. It's it's too orchestral. And like okay, so let me you know like get back to you. And like two days later, he's like, yeah, you know what? I just decided to hire someone else to like write a rock score to this. All right, thanks for telling me what you <laughs> wanted. Kind of I mean, <laughs> it's really messed up. I, I I feel like a lot of them are really in over their heads sometimes when they start working with a composer because a lot of directors start with um like the stock music, right? The royalty free stuff, and which is crazy because there's like like i could probably find 12 composers right now that would work for somebody for free you know i mean i guess to me it doesn't mean they're any good or they can deliver i mean like i i suppose like i, I mean i've never had to you know meet anybody on those terms like maybe there's delivering issues and things like that but you know yeah i just feel like it comes from like a lack of experience i was still doing um private lessons with with uh, my uh, professor who was an orchestrator and i remember bringing to him like these different examples like there's this one director like i had to like rescore a scene like seven different ways and i told him i said like doesn't this seem weird that i had to do seven different drastic things you know i mean like i said like you know like i wish i was jerry goldsmith so i could say here's the only two you get if you don't like it i'll move on to something else you know like my god i can't wait to get to that level um but my professor put it real clearly he goes you know you're you're educating him right now on on how to score films he has no clue obviously like that's why he's having you do all this and um, so it is, it is, it's a really frustrating thing, you know, I think when sometimes the director isn't as experienced, but, you know, Irving, it sounds like you're a master of it. So you maybe should be giving some uh, master classes on here about how to work with your composer. Yeah, I don't maybe. think I was <laughs> a, a topic one day on just on like how to work with just people in general as a director. Yeah. Honestly, that's a very good episode idea. I don't think I don't think anyone should treat my advice like I'm a master, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that that's a good idea. I, I, maybe I'll talk about that. Interpersonal skills are like if you're going to be a leader, you have to be, have interpersonal skills. That's just it, you know. If you're yeah, that that's well said. Yeah, if you're if you're not going to be good at uh, making people feel comfortable and and at the same time being strong enough, you know, it's it's a balancing game. You know, it's it's a uh, it's hard, but uh, that's kind of the fun of it as well in some ways, or torture, however you want to put it. It sounds <laughs> like the being strong part sounds like, yikes, you know, it's some, you know, sometimes you gotta tell people like the work that they're doing that they may love is like not what you're looking for, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. That's the nice thing as a composer. I never really have to fire the director. I just don't work with them on the next one. Oh, no, I'm busy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Scott. I was talking about your piece, like your great sense of orchestral color. What, who are some like composers who with who are also great orchestrators, or who are some just or great orchestrators that you uh, that you you enjoy listening to or, or studying, just for our audience and get sure. get a sense to some good orchestrators. Well, um, that's a great question because a couple it was about a couple years ago I, I started like contacting different directors, saying like I'm going to be finishing up my degree. I'd like to start kind of like working on a portfolio and I, I met a director out of Portland who's doing a fantasy series it's like almost two hours long and, and he wants like a Lord of the Rings Star Wars type score to it right uh and and he basically wants like non-stop music like think like in Return of the Jedi like where the music almost never stops like that's what he's looking for like we like we have only like one scene so far that's like 10 seconds long it's gonna have no music so like I was like, cool like this is obviously the dream every composer wants to do something like this I obviously have no clue how to do this but i'm going to just say yes because i don't want to lose this opportunity so i just dove into big score studies um like tchaikovsky stravinsky holst copeland uh ravel rimsky korsakov uh berlioz 
um, looked at like pieces like Sorceress Apprentice like really closely. Like I, I like studied that score like an hour a day for two weeks straight. I was like, I want to like know this score like as if I wrote it. And and that for me, it, like that's how I have to learn music. It almost has to be like I just know it so intimately well. Um, like I wrote it now all of a sudden I can start maybe to do something that's like that and I think maybe that comes just from my original way of, of learning how to play music was you know kind of self-taught on the guitar like I have to hear something and I, I can play it now I understand how that song's put together uh, same with these pieces um, like I looked at things like Sleeping Beauty um, for school I, I got to do a, an, an analysis um, of Vivaldi's Four Seasons which was incredibly useful uh, you know he's really one of the first ones to do program um, program style music and it was really great because he's a master of the violin so what a great way to do like string studies and also a way to see like how he would like write virtuistic uh music like i, I noticed that for a lot of fast parts um like a lot of the repeated notes would be like an open string i was like oh that's very brilliant you're making it very idiomatic for the instrument very easy for the player to be able to do things like that so again i might have gone on a little ramp but like those are those are some of the, the things that like really uh uh, have in, inspired me and, and helped me with like figure out like orchestral color um and, and quite frankly i use rj miller's book on orchestration it's called contemporary orchestration or for the contemporary composer it talks about like how you can how you can blend instruments together like blend you know the cello with the oboe to create this effect uh, you know take an alto flute with it you know things like that it also talks about professional considerations because he did work in the studios so like make sure your scores like have like the large you know like four four you know time signatures make sure every measure is numbered underneath um uh, also, like, just make sure you don't put in bowing marks, bow, bow markings. Make sure you don't put in the pedal markings for the harpist. It's offensive. Uh, he found out from a, a woman uh, a harpist in England. Uh, he put in all the pedal markings for her, and he came up to her, to him, and said after the performance, "Yeah, you did a uh, did a great job with those pedal markings. Make sure you never do that again." <laughs> He's like, "Why?" He's like, "That's very offensive." He's like, "She's like, I'm a professional. If you think I don't know how to do that, you know, kind of thing." And so, yeah, he puts those in this book. I use that book so much; it's basically like my my orchestration bible. I don't think. I mean, yeah, uh, contemporary composer. Like, you know, I don't listen to too many like 20th century composers, but Alfred Alfred Schnicki, Schnicka, how you pronounce him? He's somebody who I, I very much uh, love his like orchestration techniques and timbre. So I like, you know, I'm very like inspired by him. Plus his treatment of atonal language being an atonal composer i think is very difficult and trying to make it interesting for the audience is even more difficult and like he was a composer that could do that you say schnitke is that is that the yeah i've heard it pronounced both schnitka and schnitke i've heard about i think it's schnitka though is how it's pronounced yeah well i actually know who that is which is uh (laughs) i heard a piece performed at uh at was that the piece that was were you performing in that piece no it was the piece after uh after the one Ben performed at, I, I went to a performance uh, that Ben was performing in, and I'm pretty sure there's a piece by him afterwards. Um, and then I cool. uh, was fascinated with... Uh, uh, but he's a brilliant composer. Sure. He also was a film composer, too. So it's just like, there again, like it shows somebody who's got a talent for like the theatrics or the cinematics, right? Like, you know, you're making your piece interesting for people. Yeah, mm. so I, for, for Scott, uh, I... I studied both uh, music and Russian in college um, and obviously like Russian music is kind of like the, the core of, of, of my my you know musical self um, nice. so yeah you know uh, one of the thing, things that I love about um, Russian 20th century music is that 
there's not there wasn't really a dividing much of a dividing line until very late in the 20th century uh, between film composers and like concert you know classical composers all the all the you know big composers mm-hmm. classical composers composed for film you know Shostakovich, Prokofiev, Khachaturian, uh, um, Popov, uh, you know so yeah I love that. Uh, and there are also so many really underappreciated orchestrators uh, from the, like the 20, well, Russian music in general, but, you know, just building on the tradition of Rimsky Korsakov, um, Radion Shedrin is an amazing composer, not, not very well known in the West. But, and for me, like the, um, on the orchestrator side too, like where I, um, because yeah, I really am a huge fan of film music is really where my heart is. Uh, I always think of like these three orchestrators as like my standards that I go to. And there's so many greats, but like it's William Ross, Shirley Walker and Don Davis. Like, I just think that those three, like, you know, I mean, like they're, they're, they're just brilliant. Um, I, it, it, I, I remember the first time I, I heard the music to the matrix, I was annoyed by it because it lacked motivic material. And this was at a time when we were still doing a lot of motivic material and storytelling with our film composition, I feel like. Um, and when I listened to it more recently, I really appreciated like the brilliance of, of what Don Davis does in, in those Matrix films. Uh, so like, I mean, like it's it's all orchestration, really. It's it's like, you know, I mean, I couldn't sing you back the theme to the Matrix, but I could sing you back. 15 themes from the Star Wars franchise, you know, right? Like, I mean, like, that's, like, just the difference. But, but like, yeah, I like I like listening to those guys. And Shirley Walker, like, like I feel like when she started working with Danny Elfman, like, his music just, like, got elevated to the next level. So that's when I, like, also kind of really appreciated. Like, you know, orchestration seems like that's something that's very crucial. And I realized it's very crucial for us on the starting level as film composers because we can't afford orchestrators. So it's like if we can't do our own orchestrations, it's like we're going to be kind of limited to our, our own projects. Um, and then it's nice not to have to only be able to compose in a dog. It's nice to actually be able to compose in like finale or sheet music, you know, Sibelius, like in sheet music. So you can actually have your stuff ready for live players right away. You don't even have to hire a person for it. Everything's ready to go. Yeah. One one piece of advice that uh, like a general piece of advice for people, uh, you know, like going back to viewing Reddit, um, a lot of people I, I, I think uh, that I, I found on like our composer or films, our film score, or our classical music. You know, writing stuff in, in in the DAW. If you if you approach writing in a DAW, like with the actual you know notes and like orchestration in mind, you're gonna have a much easier time getting things to balance and you know, mix well, have to do a lot less of that than if you just like, well, I'm just going to write is, you know, though these aren't actual human beings playing these things. And then afterward, you got to like force the force the things to kind of gel together. Yeah. Well, I think that's really like, it's good advice. You have to think of it like yeah, as, as realistic as possible because, and that's why like I use, um, I mean, I use Sibelius as for my notation, but everything I compose is in there first. Uh, especially because I want to make sure that I'm not screwing around with the overtone series. So like that's when my chords are clean. Uh, I think that that's something a lot of composers don't think about is like, you know, like the way you lay in your chords should should line in with the laws of physics. Unless for some reason you're trying to fight it. There are times when you want to fight that and you want to create that sound, but like know when you want to and know when you don't. And 
for me, like I have tried composing directly into Cubase, and I find that I'm very limited in what I can do. I'm not able to develop material very well. Um, the the idea is very like just linear. Like here it is, and you know. So for me, like that's a that's a big challenge. Like I'm not a great dog composer. Oh, dog. Yeah, that was my dog. Oh, you mean like electronic music? Ah, oh, can you repeat your question, Nathan? I said a. Cubase sounds like something you would use if you're doing like more electronic things. It's probably more oriented towards that. I mean, you can definitely use it for other things too. Um, yeah, like, well, I know like, like Hans Zimmer uses like a doll like that. I don't know which one he uses, but yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, like you know, if I was just gonna do like a like something for like a band, like you know, like a three piece, like guitar, piano, and bass or something, like yeah, just go into the DAW. I mean, like even that, like I I might just compose myself because I would just think of it like in a terms of a lead sheet and like here's where everybody is. You know, I'm still gonna have that orchestration side of me of like, you know, want to do a little touch up at the end. But like, yeah, it's tough to write like classical music, I guess, in the DAW. I think that yeah, I think Nathan makes a really good point. Like, yeah, like know the kind of music that you want to write. Like, yeah, if you're 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 writing something, you know, poppy, contemporary, um, even Zimmer, like, you know, some of his stuff probably could be done straight into the doll, like probably a lot of like Batman Begins could maybe be done that way, honestly. You know, I don't know how much of it would have to be notated. But I mean, I think everything's played by live players in that. So obviously it needed to be. Speaking uh, the, the Matrix, um, do you do you happen to own the uh, the score? I don't actually have that, but uh, I have some other Omni music actually sitting right here. Uh, how to Train Your Dragon. Do you own I, any of those Omni scores? I, I do have... I have a lot of um, my uh, private instructor, because he's worked with so many composers and other orchestrators throughout the years, has, has collected copies of handwritten scores. And I have copies of stuff like that. So I don't get like clean, but like I can see, you know, like if you zoom in, you're like, I'll get it. Cool. You know, um, so I've got like stuff like that that, that I, I kind of like uh, reference. Uh, I feel like at this point, though, too, I've, I've gotten. The more you come, I feel like the more you, you compose larger works, the better your ear is at listening to other composers' stuff. So, like, I, I find that I, I, I can listen to like a track from The Matrix or something like from Jurassic Park, let's say, and be able to hear, like, okay, here's all the different ingredients. Here's what's happening, you know, orchestrationally. You know, I may not know the exact notes, but honestly, it probably doesn't matter because it's not like I'm going to be writing or replicating that exact piece, right? Like, I don't need to know the exact run that the harp did there i just need to know that okay it was a glissando it went it went up it went down it went up it went down it went up okay great like so something like that um so i, I do just do a lot of it just from ear listening um you know we did a lot of that in 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 college we had uh uh was eight semesters of ear training so i mean like it's you know like we hated it at the time like there were so many things that i hated and like then when i left i was like really grateful for i was just like oh man you know now i get why they made us do that Oh no! I get why they made us do that. Oh no! I get why they made us do that. You know, and you know, I'm sure they'd love to hear that too, because I was like the first one to be ultra opinionated. Like, ah, why are we doing this? This is like a waste of time. <laughs> and like here I am using it. I'm like some maybe the most have since that time. So, yeah, I think sometimes we have to have faith that like our our professors do know what they're doing. Um, especially if you're going to school for music. Um, kind of back into that since we were talking about that. Like the one thing I love about going, and when I talk to people who went to school for, um other degrees like you know depending on what, what it is a lot of times they feel like they didn't leave with a tangible skill like we're you know i'm a better piano player than when i started um a better you know vocalist from having to be in choirs than when i started um definitely better composer and orchestrator than when i started so at least i could you know 
find private students and make some money with that. I remember somebody who he, he told me like he was real frustrated because he got like a it was an English degree and he was going to go on to his master's because he was like, I feel like that's what I have to do. And I'm like, well, why? He goes like, because, you know, I can't go on Craigslist and say, like, does anybody want any English lessons? He goes, but you can go on there at least and like maybe make a couple of bucks with something of the stuff you learn. So, you know, I'm grateful that we, we had that opportunity, you know, as, as music students, like, you know, a lot of these programs take almost five or six years for a four year degree because of what we have to do. But you know, you get you get a skill too, so that that's really great. Yeah, I, I agree. Over time, I think the biggest thing that's changed about me uh, as, as a just general musician, not just as a composer, is that I'm more able to. The more music I've listened to, the more I'm able to like pull out certain elements without seeing the score. But I'm also still a huge proponent of of seeing the score for like certain kinds of details, you know. So I'm not not affiliated. Or, or paid or sponsored by Omni Music in any capacity, but though we will take their our, money if they uh, <laughs> they would like to be. But but any any uh, any of our you know regular viewers know that I am really really bullish on the publication of film scores because yes, you can find many things illegally, but I would much prefer that the composers get some amount of money from what they they did. So. Support Omni Music, support Numation Music, support Chris Sidall Music. Those are the three people who are like publishing film scores. You know, I think you're going to see more of it too. Um, like here in in Colorado, our our symphony orchestra does a lot of like um, night like a movie night where it, they play like the entire Return of the Jedi score with the orchestra to the to the you know to the film. Uh, and, and they do that to generate, obviously, money. I mean, like, there's obviously a, 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 it's a tough place for the orchestra now, like, you know, even before the pandemic. But, like, you know, like, you know, people don't necessarily rush to go in and see new composers' works, but, like, they will go in and see things that are done by film composers, so, or people like John Williams, at least. So, like, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to see more of that in, in the future, Ben. I think we will. And I think that more people are starting to appreciate film composers again. Like, the, like you mentioned before, like how there was a time when like a film composer and a like regular concert composer were the same person, right? Like it wasn't like this, like, Oh, how dare you go into writing for film? Like you're not a, you're not a real composer. You know, it's just like, Oh, that that's kind of offensive. Right. I mean, it's like, it's still just as much work. Um, and I think we're getting closer to that again, where people are starting maybe to appreciate that more. I mean, I just love how, how, so many older soundtracks or scores are being least re- released on, on, you know, CD or digital, you know, albums or whatever now from things that are from like the eighties or nineties. I mean, like I, I recently saw, like they finally released like the whole like masters of the universe score from that, you know, I mean, it's not a great movie, but the music's really great. Like why not have that out there? And um, just, just things like that. So I, I feel like more people are getting into it. I think maybe a reason too is, is maybe pop music's gotten a little, redundant or formulaic for a lot of listeners you know as people get a little older they're they're interested in something else you know like they and and one of the things i like about film music and this was a direction i got from my private instructor he told me like that i i have a tendency to like want to write with uh pop chord progressions and mm-hmm. and then when i was getting formal training i was like learning i was going away from that and he goes why are you not doing that pop poppy or stuff i go well you know it's not as you know 
innovative or it's not maybe as clever or it's you know definitely like a romantic composer when he's just like ah but he goes you know pain composer would do it <laughs> it's like you know just things like that um yeah i i think we are approaching a little bit more like recognition of film music and, and i hope hope we get there i you know the thing that like drew me to film music when i was a kid was john williams harry potter and star wars but like what what was so like important about hearing that stuff when i was in fourth fifth grade i mean as much as like you know classical music like proper it was important for me it just seemed like it was you know music that was being like written in our time is really authentic obviously it's not like this the most authentic music in that like but yes there's the director that's like you know kind of telling you what's you know what, what you're looking for you're not composing for your own vision but so much of it is just like it has a, a soul to it that a lot of more formulaic stuff popular popular stuff just didn't seem to have for me mm-hmm. and yeah i don't know that's that's what kind of drew me to to williams and then eventually to a lot of other fantastic composers that's cool okay so there's a lot of a lot of a lot of great stuff there. Uh, a lot it's of great, great talking thoughts. with you, Ben. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of really fantastic, interesting thoughts, and lots of good rants we had. Uh, <laughs> always, always like that. So really glad you could uh, join us, Scott. And thanks also for letting Thank us you. talk about talk about your piece last week. Yeah, um, no, I, I appreciated that. Yeah, it was it was it was fun, especially because uh, you know I don't really ever get to get too much feedback anymore. That piece was supposed to. Uh, before a competition that got canceled and you know they i mean like they never even like followed up with anybody um and, and, and it was one that really actually was really about the orchestration more than the composition so i was like oh man i really am interested in this one like um it was the first competition that actually let you write for harp it was like finally mm. you know yeah the harp should be in every single orchestral piece oh i, I love harps and yeah before well, uh, before you sign off scott you have uh, any socials websites or whatever you want to plug um, I mean, people can always just go right to my website, which is just my name, scottmineshock.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-M-E-I-N-S-C-H-O-C-K. Um, I, I've got, you know, like just some different examples of some stuff I've uh, uh, scored for different directors, some projects I did in college. And I uh, recently just uh, this year composed uh, four new pieces. Uh, ben, you heard like I think a couple of them I, I put up. Uh, on um, Reddit last week as well. Uh, th- they're mostly done like in a kind of a film score style. Like one of them is definitely like, you know, I mean, the overture one, and then I think you would say, right, that's very much like a John Williams hook type, <laughs> type piece. Um, and then like, I, I definitely did do a, uh, I, I kind of like to think of it as a parody, not as, not making fun of, but is a respectful um i did a piece that was in the style of hans zimmer because i never composed like that and i've had many directors ask me like how come you don't have anything like that so i just did one just to kind of show that i I could and then um i I did try also doing a piece with orchestra and synth because that's one of the things that i thought was really cool but with some of the marvel movies especially especially that third thor film the use of the synth with the orchestra i thought was really brilliant and I did not execute it as well, but I still had a really fun time uh, doing that, and I still put that piece up there. And uh, hopefully I'll I'll be having some of my projects will be coming out either this year, at the end of this year, or or next year. I'm working with, uh, right now, at least uh, 
uh, six different directors with their projects, everything from full feature stuff to just some student projects. All of them are really exciting and fun. They're all different, like summer horror, one's a thriller comedy, one's like that fantasy I, I mentioned. Um, a couple of them are dramas. So hopefully some of that stuff will be out. And yeah, when I you know get close to releasing it or when we release it, I'll you know, let you guys know and you can maybe uh, tear it a new one on the on the show. Dope, all yeah. Right, well, Always let us know. All of that. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, just great to be able to talk with other artists who have, uh, you know, kind of dealt with this and fun to talk with a director to, you know, have him defend his his side of the story of well, the pain <laughs> in the butt to deal with. No, no, no. And I look forward to the, your podcast in the future where you're going to talk about, like, you know, how to be a good director or, or professionalism in the workplace, whatever you're, however you're going yeah, to spin yeah. it. I think that's going to be really good. I'm looking cool. forward to that, too. Yeah, so I had to plug you at the end there, uh, just just to help out. You know, I appreciate the plug. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Cool guys. Well, I'm gonna sign off too. But thanks again. All right. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for coming around. So I also have to hop off here. So for everyone out there listening, thanks thanks again for listening, and have a good night. <laughs>